Thank you, Trish. Merry Christmas, everyone. You might not realize it, but it was 51 years ago that one of the most important questions of the 20th century was asked. Now, you might be be surprised by the source of that question. It was a well-known popular figure by the name of Charlie Brown. Charlie Brown was sitting on a stage, having just been humiliated by his friends and classmates because he had picked out the world's lamest Christmas tree for their school play. And he lay on a heap on the stage, and he said, I I, I guess I just don't get the real meaning of Christmas. And then he asked the question, what is the real meaning of Christmas? That's a great question. And just lucky enough for Charlie Brown, he had one of the great sages of the 20th century who was among his entourage. This guy, this little kid by the name of Linus, who just for long enough took his thumb out of his mouth and put his blanket aside, and he stepped out onto the center of the stage and he read these words. He said, in the same region, shepherds were staying out in their fields and keeping watch over their flocks at night. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you, I announce to you good news of a great joy that will be for all people. For today, a Savior who is Messiah, the Lord, was born for you in the city of David. This will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped snugly in cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly, there was a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and peace on earth to people he favors. When the angel had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, "Let's, Let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened which the Lord has made known to us. And they hurried off, and they found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And after seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary, Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard, just as they had been told. Boy, that Linus is a smart guy, isn't he? The fact that he could quote Luke 2, verses 8 through 20 from memory on the spot, pretty good thing. You know, and, and, and he, he nailed it. He got the exact right answer to that all-important question of what is the real meaning of Christmas. But I got a little fear that for some of us, Even after reading Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20, we don't quite get the full meaning of Christmas. So I want to unpack that for just a little bit tonight. Because that question that Charlie Brown asked and his despair laying on a stage, it's really a great question to ask. What is the real meaning of Christmas? And here's the thought that I would offer up to you today. And and I want to tell you why I'm motivated to present this truth this way. I came across a a survey that was conducted a few years ago, and I just came across it this week. And they asked people who believed in God, how they thought of God. What was their major image that stuck in their mind? And 
And they kind of were able to categorize those into four different areas. One of those was that the people looked at God and their thought was that God was distant. 24.5% of the people said, God's just detached. He's uninvolved. He's just not here. God is distant. He kind of created the world, sent the whole thing in motion, took a break. He's still on break. That was almost 25% of the people. 16% of the people saw God as critical. God was just a, this, this kind of being who was just always critical. He was never satisfied. He was disappointed in his creation, in particular those he had created in his own image, and he was just disappointed. He wasn't acted, actively condemning them, but he really just didn't want to have a whole lot to do with them. They could just be a prodigal child that never really came home. 31%, now this is almost a third of the people who said they believed in God, saw God as an authoritarian figure. God was angry. He's critical, always judging, trying to find all the things that we did wrong and give us a good swat, you know, for our, for our mistakes. 23% saw God as benevolent. You know, but their benevolence was a little different. They, they saw God as being forgiving, but really it was God was being forgiving because he was just kind of let us kind of slide by with all of our mistakes, Right? You know, it was the kind of idea that he was forgiving because he didn't really care. We were his kids, and so that was just it. He, was, he would just take us the way we are. And I don't know about you, but on a night like Christmas Eve when we're getting ready to celebrate again the birth of the Son of God who has come for us, I, I find that survey results really disappointing. So here's, here's what I'd tell you tonight when you think about Christmas. Christmas... The real meaning of Christmas is got to change your, your view, your attitude of God forever. The event that we celebrate tonight and tomorrow morning, the birth of Jesus Christ through his mother Mary into a manger in a little city, a little town by the name of Bethlehem that was associated with the ancestry of David, what that needs to communicate to what, what that challenges us to do is to change the way that you and I think about God forever. And I'm going to give you a couple of things to chew on just a little bit as related to that from the Christmas story. And I'm going to pull it out of the things that we've just looked at in Luke chapter 2. And, and here's the first truth I want to get to you tonight. As you think about God, here's what you need to think about. Here's the image. God is here for you. God is here for you. He's not off somewhere. He's not running around looking over your shoulder trying to find something to condemn. God is here for you. You know, what's the first thing that the angel said to the shepherds? Do not be afraid. You know how many times that phrase or its cousins appear in the Scripture? Statements like fear not and other kinds of things like that. It occurs over 350 times in the Bible. Every time God shows up, he says to his people, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Every time God shows up, God is here for us, and he tells us, don't be afraid. God doesn't want you to be afraid of him. God does not want you to be afraid of your past. He doesn't want you to be afraid of the present that you're in. He doesn't want to be you to be afraid of the future that's right before you. He doesn't want you to be afraid of eternity. God does not want you to be afraid because God is here for you. In 
Matthew's account, and we saw the beginning of it in our video a few minutes ago. Those little numbers at the bottom were not minute markers. They were the scripture verses from Matthew chapter 1. But if you follow the story on, we understand that we're told that not the, y'all, the other name of this child besides Jesus is going to be the name Emmanuel. And that means God with us. That person who kind of was waving a stick around was supposed to be the Apostle Matthew dictating his gospel to the scribes. And it means God with us. Scripture means, this Christmas communicates to us through the Scriptures that God is here for us. You know, one of the last things that Jesus said to his disciples before he departed the planet at the end of the Gospel of Matthew was this, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Man, let Christmas convince you that your view of God ought to be that God is here for you. Here's a second truth I want you to see. Not only is God here for you, but that God is actually for you. God's agenda for you and for me is always for our best. He's not an authoritarian. He's not a critic. He's not trying to rip us apart. The scripture tells us that, that he finds pleasure in his people and that he is for us. You know, as I think about this announcement of the angels to the shepherds, he says, I bring you good news of a great joy. This good news is, is it's, it's obviously positive, right? It's good news. It's personal. It's for you. It's for me. And it's universal for all people. It's, it's good news. God is for us. But what I really want to look at is this terminology of a great joy. You know, sometimes we think about joy and we want to equate it with happiness. We want to equate it with the, the feelings that kind of arise from pleasure and stuff. You know, when we're having a positive kind of an experience. And those are great feelings. But that's not what the Bible means by the word joy. Joy is a quality of life. Joy is, is, is the ability to extract good even out of the most difficult of experiences. God's agenda was to show up in the person of his son, the Savior, enter into our world, then enter into our lives by faith so that you and I could live with a great Joy, the ability to extract good in every experience of our lives. You know, um, my parents used to own a 36-foot Silverton. It was a kind of like a small seagoing yacht kind of thing. You know, it had a cabin. It would sleep six, and we would take it out for some rides. And, and I remember one year, my wife and I went up to kind of check on it in January, and it was cold out, and we were going to spend the night in the boat. And so when we got there, it had one of these rigs on it, right, where it was like an air conditioner during the summer, and it was a heater during the winter. And it was amazing to me that this equipment that was on the boat somehow could extract the heat out of 45-degree water and heat the cabin up to 70 degrees. I mean, how in the world do you do that? How do you take heat out of 45-degree water and somehow heat up a room to 70 degrees? But, you know, as I've thought about that technology over and over again, the thing that strikes me is that's exactly the role that that God wants joy to play in our lives. He wants our joy in him to be able to extract 70-degree experiences out of 45-degree 
life circumstances. God wants to make our lives better. That's why he showed up. I bring you good news of a great joy. That's because God is for us. He's here for us, and God is for us. I've got one last element that I want to kind of add in, and I'll limit it to this because of our time, but, but in this quest to let Christmas change our view of God forever. Here's the last thing that I would like to kind of push onto your plate to think about tonight. God loves you enough. God loves me enough that he wants to be my father and your father. And he wants all of us to be his children. God loves you enough. He loves me enough that he wants all of us to be his children and he wants to be our father. You know, the, that's, a, that's a mouthful to say a lot, right? But all of this is rooted simply in the angel's statement to the shepherds when he says, today, for today is born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. There's some great stuff. That's always my big theological word for those of you who hang around Hope Chapel quite a bit. There's some great stuff in this phrase of a Savior that's been born for you. Let me just kind of unpack it for myself and maybe you'll get something out of it. I don't think I have near the wisdom of Linus, but I'll try a little bit in in these moments. You know, the first question is, who really needs a Savior? Who really needs a Savior? You know, and I, the Scripture answers that question for us when it says all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But, you know, I I don't know. I, I think there's a lot of misconceptions about this kind of stuff nowadays. You know, because it's, it's just not in vogue anymore. You know, the kind of way it worked for the, the, the character of the evangelists who used to wander around with their tents wearing their white shoes, and they would just yell and scream, hellfire and brimstone at people, condemning them as sinners and seeing the kind of, we don't We don't really see it that way anymore, right? But when I say that I've come up short of the glory of God and that you've come up short of the glory of God, I don't mean that you're a bad person. I simply mean that you're just not perfect. How many of you say, you know, I've never done a single thing that I regret. I'm absolutely perfect. I, I, never, I never said a word that I wanted to have back. I've never done anything or failed to do something and come to regret. None of us are in that position. We may be fundamentally decent people, but that doesn't make us perfect. And the Scripture says we need a Savior. And God in Christmas... Because he loves us enough that he wants you and I to have a relationship with him that lasts for eternity, for us to be able to call him Father, he came for us. So who is this Savior? And I love the way Steve alluded to it earlier. This, this Savior was born as a baby through the Virgin Mary and laid in a manger in Bethlehem. And they called him Jesus who is the Christ. But here's what we need to remember. Jesus didn't stay a baby. He grew up. He lived a perfect life. He put up with all of the twists and turns and the agony of life that you and I did and do. And then he died on a cross and was resurrected so that he could be our Savior. And that that Savior is the person, Jesus Christ, 
And the Scripture echoes out to all of us tonight, trying to seek to change our view of Scripture, that there is, there is no other name given under heaven by which men must be saved than through the person of Jesus Christ. And God is setting all of that into motion in the person of Jesus Christ. See, I think sometimes it doesn't really ring through. One of the reasons why we struggle with getting into the true meaning of Christmas to really get the real message, because we don't really know how to become a child of God. And I don't know if some ways the church has really helped very much with all of that. In some ways, we've made it awful complicated for people to, to figure out how it is to become a Christian. You know, you've got to go to church a lot and read your Bible a ton and do all these kinds of things. And, 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 and none of that is absolutely, none of that is necessary. Now, listen, there's a lot of stuff that goes after the journey. You know, once you, once you say yes to Christ, and you can talk to Lou about this, or as, who just shared his word about coming to know Christ eight years ago in that journey, beginning that journey. You know, there's a lot of pieces that are great challenges after that journey, like learning how to love your neighbor as yourself or turning the other cheek or actually to find giving to be a whole lot more blessed than receiving. The fact that we get around to the place where we really prefer to serve people than to be served, there's a lot of great challenges that come. But up front, there's really... Only two things you got to know and one thing you got to do in order to be a child of God. You know, and I, I, on Christmas Eve, I'd be a jerk if I didn't invite you to know those things and to do that thing. And, and the passage I, I'm going to pull up for us to consider, and I'm going to be like Linus and pull it from memory, just a lot fewer words than he had to do, is for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The two things you got to know, you got to know that God loves you. And that's part of the true meaning of Christmas. You got to know that God gave his son for you. That's part of the true meaning of Christmas. And the one thing you got to do, you don't have to pray for 10 hours. You don't have to read the Gospel of John twice, as Lou just referred to. You don't have to memorize a lot of stuff. You don't have to be able to explain the Trinity well enough to get a B-plus on a test. You don't have to know any of that stuff. The one thing you've got to do is you've got to believe. You've got to trust in the birth, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and that he is the one that can provide you with life eternal. You just got to believe. You got to trust. You got to rely on it. Stop relying on our own lives and start relying on his. There's only two things you got to know and one thing you got to do in order to be able to get the true meaning of Christmas, which is becoming a child of God through faith in his son. And as you got to know, he loves you, that he gave his son for you. And if we receive him by our belief, we will become children of God. And tonight, in the name of the one who has come in the manger, the one who's going to live a life completely flawless in the eyes of God, the one who's going to offer his life on a cross in all of our places and all the rest of the people who have ever drawn breath on the planet, the one who's going to be buried in a tomb, and resurrected for eternity, I invite you to experience the true meaning of Christmas by becoming a child of God 
through faith in Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. God, we pray for the assistance of your spirit tonight. You know, one of the reasons why we're all out here in this early service is we probably got plans tonight. There's a lot of stuff that's still going to go on with our Christmas celebration. Father, in many ways, there's nothing wrong with any of that. But God, we pray that your spirit would work with ours to create some moments we would answer the question for ourselves. Do I really know the real meaning of Christmas? And Father, that we would find that answer through receiving your gift, the gift of your son, through belief. We pray it in his name. Amen. Amen.